0: Good morning. morning. This morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. In your pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 960. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. This is the familiar passage of the visit of the wise men and their travels to see Jesus. As Maria had mentioned earlier, we're in a season of epiphany uh, in the liturgical calendar that celebrates the revelation of God incarnate as Jesus Christ, predominantly commemorating the visit of the wise men, uh, the Magi. And uh, if you've ever wondered what the visit of the Magi has to do with you and uh, your Christian household, your Christian relatives, and your Christian families here in America, my prayer this morning is that you will not have to wonder anymore because, as we'll see this morning, I hope to see the relationship between the wise men, where they're from, the nature of their quest, and the consequences of it this morning. So we'll read the word of the Lord now. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to him in prayer. O oh, Father in heaven, as we revisit this oh-so-familiar passage from Scripture, this visit of The wise men from years past, may we um, see it afresh with new eyes this morning, the grace, the mercy, and the person of Jesus Christ contained within these pages of Scripture. May we see him with our eyes and hear him with our ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it was seen by the naked eye on December 21, just last year. We can say that now, 2020, right? Seen perhaps for the first time uh, since 800 years ago. You probably already know what I'm talking about. This is the conjunction or the alignment of our solar system's two biggest planets, Jupiter and Saturn, not seen since 1226 A.D., Now, this alignment, of course, crossing paths so closely that it looks like they've been fused together into one gigantic star um, that we could all see down here on Earth. And it was an event that was captioned the Christmas star, particularly because of its proximity to Christmas Day. And, of course, you know, with scientists and others perhaps speculating that this was the star over the night of Jesus' birth as well. And it captivated the world, no doubt, Uh, excited by all the media attention that the celestial event was getting. You know, it was a real buzzkill for us here, though, in Chicagoland, because that was a very uh, overcast night. None of us saw it. Um, But nevertheless, for a brief moment in our age, the whole world seemed to pause for just a moment, and uh, in the midst of such ongoing chaos, to really wonder and marvel at the general revelation of God in the heavens and the the beautiful tapestry of... By his hand in the heavens. Well, there's a different star that we'll consider this morning—one of far greater significance, one that played a very pivotal role in the history of redemption and in the life of our Lord. As we sang earlier, it's a star of wonder. It's a star of night, a star bright with royal beauty. One that was westward leading, still proceeding, guiding those that followed it to God's perfect light. Of course. The star I'm talking about is the actual Christmas star, the one that we read of here in Matthew 2, the one that guided the wise men on their journey to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. This is a star of wonder, and this is a star of the nations. And it's the nations, the various ethnicities of the world, that we'll consider this morning, and their significance in God's program of redemption. For most, if not all, of the Old Testament, the called out people of God, Israel, was to be a light to the nations. And through all of their flunks and failures, God remained faithful. And uh, by the lips of the prophets, one was to be born in this very Israel who was to unite all nations through his gospel. This is the God man, Jesus Christ, whose birth we have just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. And now, scholars in our text this morning guess through study that uh, this event of the wise men perhaps takes place a couple of years later after Jesus' birth, and two years later the toddler Jesus' mother Mary, unbeknownst to her, would be paid a visit by a group of men who came 800 miles from the east, drawn by this light pointing to the Savior. And this text is key for us today, for we too, you and me, all of us here this morning, we are of the nations. We are, as the Greek calls ethne, from ethnic places. At times, we, we tend to treat salvation on a very individualistic basis, uh, on, a, on a very individualistic scale, when in God's program of redemption, there is a far greater movement at play. It's one on a global scale. We must not neglect God's drawing all nations to himself through Christ. And really, in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, what we do see is on a very microcosmic or micro microcosmic sense, we really see this gathering of the nations begin to play out. The wise men really serve as a, as a tiny microcosm for the nations to whom God makes Christ known. And as we'll see, as we go through Scripture here, three things that the nations are involved with. The nations are called, the nations seek, and the nations worship. On a grand scale, this includes you and me. Well, let's see how. First, the nations are called. The nations who are called come from far And they also come from near. And in microcosmic fashion, once again, our wise men of Matthew 2, they come from somewhere. They aren't of Israel. Well, who are these wise men from the East? Various study Bibles will uh, give you hints and clues into their origins and personalities. One says a wide range of people whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom, and magic. Now, early Greek writers would also describe them as Persian priests who were experts in divination, spells, dream interpretation, and ritual acts that today might be called sorcery or wizardry. These are men of renown steeped in the study of deep things, both supernatural and academically speaking. Of particular note, though, with our passage in mind, are the wise men or the magi's fascination with astrology, where future events were foreshadowed by the movement of the stars. Now, of course, this is something that we as Christians frown upon, but in the context of these wise men, it was very fitting for them to gaze upon the stars and to seek answers to ancient prophetic texts that they had access to. And as many scholars presume these wise men, they probably came from the eastern nation of Babylon, where there would have been ample opportunity for them to engage with old covenant Jews living there at the time of the exile. Uh, Dr. Paul H. Wright, he's a president of Jerusalem University College, he says, because Jews had been in Babylon since the exile in the 6th century B.C., It is possible that some of the, what he calls Magoi, were familiar with Jewish writings that spoke of a future deliverer. They were in tune with Scripture. In other words, as we'll see later, they were probably familiar, even particularly so, with Old Testament prophecy. This is who was called, these pagan astrologers, wise men from the East. Okay, so they're called. We know where they're from, but by what means are they called? Verse two says, "Where he? Where is he?" In there, speaking of Herod, "Where is he who has been born King of the Jews?" For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. How were the wise men called? They were called by supernatural or special. Revelation. We use that language in distinction from God's general revelation strictly through nature. What's so fascinating in God's providence here, though, is that God himself takes the initiative and meets these wise men in their own context, communicating with them in a way that they can understand, gazing at a star in the sky. In God's special revelation, though, through the verbal inspiration of Scripture that they had access to, the star has a significant role. Stirred by the Spirit many years before, another pagan, a Moabite named Balaam, perhaps you're familiar with him, spoke a prophecy, prophecy that he himself, in his own fallen nature, would not have wanted to say, but by God's Spirit he said it. And it's this, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Through God's verbal special revelation in Scripture, the wise men take note of this prophecy, and they are called anxious to follow this star. But if we look carefully at our text, their interest isn't merely in a star. It's in he who has been born king of the Jews. The wise men travel to seek a person, not a star. God met them where they were, and by his word they were called out of Babylon. And their calling upsets the world and troubles even the nominal believing Jews around them. Look at verse 4. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And who else? All of Jerusalem with him. The arrival of the king of the Jews, the Messiah, Presents a real threat to the world system and throne, even to the corrupt religious and political leadership in the holy city. You see that really exemplified in how Herod quickly gathers around the chief priests and the scribes to figure this thing out even more. They are, quote unquote, troubled, as our text says. They are, as the Greek calls it, tarazzo. It literally means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. They are shaken to the core at this news of Jesus' birth and the star pointing to his place. When the light of the world comes, the darkness shrinks back and all of its denizens with it. Even Satan himself, knowing his time is short. Why? Because he is soon to be defeated at the cross. These corrupt religious leaders, these chief priests and scribes, even they knew, to some degree, of the Messiah's birth. But yet, we don't see their zeal, we don't see their passion, we don't see their interest in seeking out where he is. They express no interest themselves to worship him. After Herod inquires of them as to the location of where Christ was to be born, they simply told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecy. They know what God's word says about the Messiah, but yet there is no effort on their part to worship him. And yet here we have a group of wise men who've traveled from the east, probably taken 40 days to get to Jerusalem, and yet Bethlehem was just a measly six-mile journey south from Jerusalem that these chief priests and scribes had access to. On a grand macrocosmic scale, then, true believers, those whose hearts have been softened by the proclamation of God's Word, hearing the gospel message, heeding the Word of Christ, true believers are called by the Lord from near and from far, and the world doesn't like it. As you entered uh, these doors this morning, To answer this call to worship and enter into corporate fellowship with God's people together to worship him. The world watched. And it grinds its jaws in disgust and horror. Doesn't like it. But no power will prosper against Christ's church, those from the nations globally. Those who have been called out of darkness into the light by the light of the gospel. The nations are called. You are called. And once called, the nations seek to our second point there. Even during the hidden agenda of Herod, the wise men continue their search for the king of the Jews. Look at verses 7 through 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we all know what his evil agenda is, but more importantly, God's redemptive program continues to be carried out and the wise men continued their journey following the star. And through supernatural means, in God's timing and providence and revelation, the star came to rest over the location of Christ. Notice the movement of this star. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, much ink has been spilled over the nature of this star, you know, whether it was a comet or, like we saw earlier, the conjunction of of planets or uh, something else in space or whether it was something strictly supernatural. Full disclosure, I tend to fall into that latter category. You know, much like the cloud and appearance of fire by night, you know, was in the, the, the sky and guided the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness, this star too, supernaturally moving by God's hand, leads the wise men and it comes to rest. Not even way up in the sky necessarily, but even right over the exact house where Jesus is. Uh, just doesn't seem too natural to me, but we can debate on that later if you wish. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Upon seeing this manifestation of biblical prophecy before their very eyes come and rest over the place of the Messiah, they can't help but just exude joy. So much so, as the Greek implies, in a very high degree, they are elated incredibly excited at what they see. As the world trembles at the coming of the Messiah, this small group of Gentiles from the nations come and can't help but express joy at finding the Messiah by his star. Isaiah 61 through 5, I believe, is a very important text here. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. This should cause the people's hearts to thrill and rejoice. And it proves so for the wise men. Upon finding Christ by the direction of the Lord, today even, the nations cannot help but rejoice exceedingly with great joy at the message of salvation and the cross and of the message of newness in Christ. Do you seek Christ this morning in this dark world? Events this past week have truly shown us the ugliness of man and the threads of evil and darkness in this world. Even so, do you seek Christ this morning? The light has come, and he is here if you but come to him. And our third point, when God leads the nations to Christ, he is worshipped. The nations worship. Verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. As soon as they saw Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him falling prostrate before and rendering unto him the praise. Notice their response to seeing Christ as opposed to their being before Herod. What do we not read about with them before Herod? Only one is worthy of being mentioned as being worshipped. At long last, the promised Messiah for the nations, the Gentiles, has come. And it is truly demonstrated here with the wise men as the beginning of the fulfillments of this promise. The worship given to our Lord was prophesied by Solomon in Psalm 72, 8 through 11 through 50, uh, and verse 15. He writes, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. We see there the fulfillments of the crushing and curse upon the serpent there already. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. We see the treasures there. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. Solomon understood that his greater son, Jesus Christ's kingdom, would far out extend beyond Solomon's kingdom geographically and ethnically. Indeed, he even anticipates the giving of gifts to the Messiah manifested here in the giving of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Micah two says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The wise men, the nations, they were called, they sought, and they worshipped. And as the nations all have their own hometowns. It's time for these wise men to leave. Verse 12 concludes our passage. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men, they heed God's word and not man's. And they return to their own country. They're returning to their country and avoiding Herod. Again, if we're going to look at this at a very microcosmic scale, this account here of the wise men leaving from Bethlehem and skirting Herod back to their own country is very illustrative of um, the foresh- and foreshadowing, really even, of the future spreading of the gospel to the nations and the defeat of the enemies of God. As the prophet Isaiah prophesied in chapter 66, 18 through 19, The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And this good gospel goes forth into all the world, as the disciples were tasked with doing at Christ's great commission. Nations that do not know Christ will soon run to him. And we, like the disciples, have been tasked with proclaiming this good news to all peoples and nations, going confidently into this dark world, assured of God's promise that when his word goes forth, it will not fail. The cross, it has curtailed the efforts of the devil and his cohorts who will not prevent the spreading of the gospel and the deceiving of the nations. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall God's word go forth that comes from his mouth. And it shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it, which is to save souls, gathering them from the nations. And after this good gospel has been fully shared and all of God's elect children's hearts have been softened, we then see this beautiful picture in Revelation 7, 9 through 10 of a great multitude from every nation. After this, John says in Revelation, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We, today have a task. We have a task to spread this gospel to the nations, just as we, you and me, have been told and were saved by hearing the gospel. The wise men, they left Bethlehem for their own country. Well, after this worship service concludes, you too will go home to your own, own place, you will depart. What will you do with this good news that you have heard? Be encouraged this morning. As you were once told, go and tell. There is a beautiful and glorious gospel song to be sung by God's choir to the nations. Go out in joy and be led forth in peace, as Isaiah continues, for the light has come. The world was captivated in December by the conjunction of planets, a Christmas star, they called it. May they be captivated today by the morning star, Jesus Christ. We now, as his ambassadors, we embody the light of Christ for the whole world to see and to hear what good things he has done. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we hear and read your word, may your spirit embolden us to go forth and proclaim this good news, this gospel message that we have taken part in. As we too have heard, Lord, may we share this with others and may then they be changed by your spirit and tell others as well. May there be this chain reaction, Father, of the gospel being shared around this community and into the nations and unto the world, Lord. We pray that you grant us courage even in this moment of piercing darkness that we may be a light to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.